Uh, Jesus didn't have a problem with people that's in the streets. He had a problem with religious people. How can I help anybody when I'm not even when I was not even able to help my own son? I would never do that. I would never do that. And I became that in a matter of minutes when they took my pain pills away. And I said, I'm not where I want to be. But thank God I'm not what I used to be. Ugh. This is Faith in Your Recovery. I am Randy Davis. Welcome to the battle. Thank you for joining with us here. Season two of Faith in Your Recovery. When you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, we're here for you and with you. We get the struggle, the challenge, the stigma, the sense of loss. Whether you're listening to us for the first time or this is your last choice, we believe that together we can make a difference. I'm your host, Randy Davis, a pastor as well as founder and executive director of A Better Life, Brianna's Hope. We are a participant-driven faith-based, compassion-filled support and recovery movement for those battling the battle with substance use disorder slash addiction. We hope you get an answer here today that will not just impact your life, but perhaps help you impact someone else's. Thank you for joining us. Our guest today came to us all the way from the northeast corner of Indiana, Auburn. Yeah, you may know it for their cars. Well, you're going to know it for Sarah Thomas here in just a few moments. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you, Randy. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Why were you willing to make that kind of drive? Why did you say yes when invited? Well, I'll tell you, um, the the stigma behind um, substance abuse and and the battle um, that I know so personally well, not just for the addict, but for the families. Um, I I wanted to have an opportunity to maybe share and maybe someone could hear something that they needed to hear today. That is the goal of every one of our episodes, to touch somebody out there. I believe in throwing rice. You always can hit someone instead of throwing a stone, okay? So that gives us a chance to, to make a difference, not just in those around us, but ourselves and, as you've already said, our families. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Nobody lives in addiction without the village struggling with it. Absolutely. Um, honestly, it's it's been my experience in my personal um, addiction and recovery and also working with other addicts. Um, the family, a lot of times, is, is just as sick as, as the addict. And, um, you know, the addict really is kind of a, a tornado roaring through the lives of of the people around them. Yeah, and along with that sickness, they don't know what they don't know or how to help right. or how to right. draw that line between enabling and truly Absolutely. making a difference. Absolutely. You've mentioned uh, your personal battle. Tell yeah. us about that. Let's go back. I know yeah. that was a while back, but yeah. let's look at that, please. Well, I would say that um, my first experience with um, drugs or alcohol came um, I had about the age of 14. Um, I am the oldest of four children. My mom and dad were high school sweethearts, and um, my dad um, graduated college and went into social work. He was the um, director of the Youth Services Center in Fort Wayne and also very involved in the Methodist church that we attended. Um, he um, decided to take a missionary position in El Paso, Texas when I was 14. 
And um, so I was introduced to a whole different atmosphere than what I was used to in um, good old Huntertown, Indiana. Um, El Paso, Texas was was very different. And um, at 14 years old, uh, trying to fit in with the kids at the new school I was going to, we were going over to Juarez, Mexico and, and drinking. So my first time that I was in Juarez, I got blackout drunk. And that was around the age of 14? Around the age of yes. 14. Um, yes. So um, my father became diagnosed with leukemia uh, very shortly, seven months after we moved our whole family to El Paso, and he died. He lost a very short battle. So um, that kind of set um, set the ball in motion for yeah. a lifelong battle with, um, I found out real quick that uh, I could drink or, or put substances in my body and, and not feel the, the pain, the anger, the, the hurt that I was feeling. What did your life look like at that point when you first started? Obviously, then the loss of your dad, which had to add trauma to everything. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, prior to him getting sick, um, we didn't have a lot of money, but we were we were surely happy and loved, and um, you know, it, it it was it it really was the life. And and then after that um, that event, everything changed, and um, we did move back to Indiana. My mom and and us kids, and um, she remarried relatively quickly. Um, and I went from honestly prior to that being kind of a goody two shoes to bring it on. Um, my high school years would be they would be okay. Um, I. I kind of, as a typical, sometimes alcoholic addict will do, I maintained kind of a double life. I mean, I wanted to be the good girl I was raised and brought up to be, but that pain and suffering and, and stuff inside um, also was very real as well. So I would be a cheerleader. I would make the honor roll, um, you know, be on homecoming court, all that kind of stuff. But um Behind the scenes, you know, I was I was the girl that was drinking and smoking and hanging out with the wrong crowd, too. So there at school, you met the dreams of most young gals, yes? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Outwardly, I would say, um, you know, as long as everything looked okay on the outside, um, it didn't really matter what was going on on the inside. And um, that kind of fueled, you know, that double life for, for quite a while. Then all the factors that go with yeah, that. The, yeah, yeah. The I became guilt and the shame. Yes. Um, I became sexually active at, at a young age. I was 15, and, and by 17, I was pregnant. So my senior year in high school, um, I would give birth to my son two weeks before I graduated high school. And I did graduate. Um, but, you know, my life had become in a just always kind of reacting to decisions that I had made. Um, life wasn't a planned thing like most people plan on having kids or plan on going to college. I was constantly living in a survival mode of reacting to choices that I had made. Um, we can't make a decision without there being a consequence absolutely. or a blessing, can we? Absolutely. And you were battling in the middle of all of that. Yeah. How long did the drinking issues go on before you took off in another drug direction? So um, 
I was a single mom, um, there would be there would be some relationships here and there. Um, but I I worked in a factory. I worked in a mobile home factory. Um, I needed a good job and I needed good insurance. And I was introduced to um, methamphetamines um, in the in the trailer factory. I was in my um, early twenties, excuse me, mid twenties. And, um, honestly for some, for a girl who, um, drank like I drank, uh, when I was introduced to, to speed, um, I thought I had, I thought that was my answer, um, because I wasn't getting blackout drunk. Like I had been on the alcohol, um, for a minute, it seemed to enable me to go to work, be a mom, do all the stuff I needed to do. Everything speed does. Yeah. Until it didn't. Yes, yes. So uh, when the when you got into the speed, yeah. did you get out of the alcohol or did that continue together? I would say that alcohol was the first drug that I tried and but definitely once I started to use um, speed, uh, that was my drug of choice. I, I do need to add um, that, um, you know, my, my sobriety date is July 16th of, or excuse me, July 24th of 2016. So obviously there's, there's some stuff that happened from um, my, my mid-20s to now. Um, I did meet a man at the, at the trailer factory, um, and he would later become my husband. Um, he is not an alcoholic or drug addict, so... Um, I was able to put the drugs down um, in the early 2000s for, for, for 10 years. And then my drinking picked up right where it left off. Uh-huh. Okay. Right where it left off. So you had that 10 years of clean and clear and sober time. Well, so the drinking in 2003, I would, um, I would be at a turning point with my drinking. I had lost my job, my relationship with my um my husband, we were newly married and, and, um, you know, that was, there was going to be some consequences there. So I went to, um, I got involved in AA and, um, I would kind of do that dance for the next few years. I would get about a year's sobriety through the 12 steps and through the AA program. Um, and then my life would start to get better. I would, I'd get a good job. My relationship seemed to be going better. And, um, instead of, you know, giving that credit to God, to my higher power, um, I was taking all the credit. And so I would back off the meetings, back off the recovery support and kind of find myself back in that same spot with the drinking and that sort of thing. Um, I did put about five years together of not drinking. And when I say that, um, Life seemed pretty good. I, I got a job as an insurance agent. I was making more money than this high school, you know, non-college graduate ever thought she would make. And um, I think it kind of went to my head a little bit. And um, I was having trouble keeping up with that facade. There, Here we go again, that facade on the outside, not matching the inside. And um, I went to my doctor, my family doctor, and... Um, convinced him that I needed to be put on Xanax for my anxiety and Adderall because I had adult ADD, which I didn't have. But, um, so that, 
really at about 2011, 12, I was still going to AA meetings. I was still sponsoring women and I was abusing my prescription pills. I mean, I was snorting my Xanax and I was running out of my Adderall prescription within a couple weeks and refused to look at the reality of what that really was because they were my prescriptions. No one could tell me any different. You mentioned there how your husband had a positive effect, or at least he certainly wasn't into the same activities you were at that time. Yeah. Those negative things. Who else at that point had an impact on your life? Yeah, I, as I said earlier, I'm the oldest of four kids, and um, my family is absolutely amazing. I mean, I seem to be... Uh, the only one that we all kind of dealt with that trauma in a different way with some different things and mine turned inwardly into my addiction. Um, my family along the way always tried to help and support and love me. Um, and, and I think that's why my heart really does go out to so many of the families because um, I, I will say that you can almost love someone to death, you know, and I, it, it sounds kind of like, you know, a judgment thing towards the family, but um, sometimes tough love is, is, is the best way to show love. And um, there's a saying I've heard that if the addict in your life is happy with you, you're probably doing something wrong. Yes. <laughs> yes. So how does a family know where to draw the line? And I know that's going to be somewhat different in each and every yeah. situation. Yeah. But what kind of advice to, could you give to a family right now that's dealing with their Sarah? Well, let me let me say um, to just forward this to where it got. So when I was abusing those pills from my doctor, um, he, he caught on and um, they will they will give you a urine test at your doctor's office. And if the substance that they have you, the controlled substance, isn't in your system, they're thinking you're either selling it or you're abusing it. And that happened to me and I was cut off. And at that time, my 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 addiction was alive and well. And and I was quickly um found myself, I would say, within a few months of buying prescription pills from the street and also was using methamphetamine again in place of the Adderall. Um, lost my job at, at the insurance um, company. Obviously, all the relationships in my life were falling apart and unraveling. Um, so my family did, they, they did an intervention in 2014 um, where... At some point, they had all kind of decided, you know, my God, what are we going to do? Um, they pulled together, you know, their money um, to send me to a treatment facility. Uh, that did not work out the way that they had hoped. Um, I went to Fairbanks initially, and at that time, that was just a medical detox. They didn't have long term. My family didn't know that. The place they sent me ended up kind of being a scam. The woman was running a scam out of her house and taking people's money. And so, um, it got really, it got really bad. I, I ran away to West Virginia. Um, I was there for months. Um, my husband would drive there to pick me up and, and, and I, and I actually went back. And, um, so 
my family did whatever they could whenever they could. And this is in 2015. The second time I went back, um, I had, this is not something that I'm proud of, but it's the truth and it's part of my story. And thank you. I had ran to West Virginia with another man and, um, you know, the second time that I found myself there, I was being physically abused and um, was pretty much left on the streets of West Virginia to fend for myself. And this is just kind of how God has always worked in my life. But um, unbeknownst to me, my, my little brother was 10 miles away at a whitewater rafting resort in West Virginia now, I would find all this kind of out later how it came about, but the police found me on the side of the road. Phone calls were made to my husband. They knew my brother was there. Um, I was driven to a hotel by the police. My husband paid over the phone with a credit card to put me up in a hotel. My brother drove from his trip 10 miles to pick me up, took me back to his cabin and let me sleep there. And my husband drove 800 miles again to pick me up and take me home. And I'd like to say, Randy, that when I got home, I jumped into recovery and stayed sober, but I did not. I would continue to use and abuse all the people that loved me, um, rob, cheat, and steal from my own family to fuel um, my drug addiction. At this point, I was intravenously using methamphetamines, and um, I was a shell of a person. So, How old at that so time? So this was 2015, so... Um, I was in my early 40s. Okay. 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 So. Um, I want folks to know we're not just talking yeah. teenager stuff. No. We're talking adults. We're talking adults. And, you know, we're talking adults from the right side of the tracks, too. I mean, I live in a neighborhood um, that is a decent neighborhood. I mean, it's an it's a older historic part of town. And um, none of my neighbors... <laughs> would have known what was going on in that house right next door to them when my husband would leave for work and, you know, um, I would have people come in and, um, you know, we were using drugs and, um, you know, doing all kinds of things that, that I wasn't proud of. I, I would, I would, my husband never really kicked me out, but I would leave and come and go as I pleased. My, my mother would at that, um, in the summer of, of early 2016, allowed me to live there and they were going to um, kind of try to monitor me and get me better. And Randy, I manipulated and, and, um, and, and until I couldn't anymore. And I, I guess why I'm saying all this is because my family did all the stuff. Um, they spent all the money. They, they, they tried, you know, making sure I had everything I wanted when I was in the, the places that, that I, that I would go to try to get help, the IOP, the inpatient. And, um, and I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready is the three key words and all that you just shared yeah. there. And the parent can want it with all their heart for that yeah. child or a sibling or a spouse. But until they want at least half that bad, yeah. it's not going to happen, yeah. is it? It's not. We can't want someone into recovery. Yeah. I will say that my family, you know, I had been doing this, 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 this relapse and especially with the methamphetamine and it had been going on for, you know, almost four years and, and I, it was running its course. They were getting sick and tired of it. And, and 
lines were starting to be drawn in the sand. Um, my mom wanted me out of her house, um, and my husband didn't want me back, but we were still married and, and couldn't really do much about it. And um, in July of 2016, um, I, I was pretty much living out of a minivan that my parents had given me. Um, meth addicts have a way of pilfering. I mean, I had more stuff in that van that probably fit in a 2,000 square foot house, but I was, I had been up for a few days and, and I was driving to a job I had gotten at AT&T to try to, you know, tr- that was going to be my answer to clean before hours at this AT&T store in Angola. And um, I ran a stop sign at a crossroads in our hometown. And I was probably going about 30, 45 miles an hour. And I was T-boned by a, like a 3,500 work truck. And I will tell you that that minivan flipped end over end four or five times. I skid upside down um, on the gravel road. Um, When they say your life flashes before your eyes, I mean, in slow motion, it it truly did. Um, I saw my siblings. I saw my son. Um, and I remember crying out to Jesus that I am, I am not ready to die. I'm, I'm not ready to die. And the, I will never forget the man that hit me. Um, I was hanging upside down with my seatbelt and I had no idea if I was, my face was still attached or, I mean, I didn't know what condition I was in. And I saw the, this head pop through the window and these bright blue eyes. And he said, are you okay? And I said, I don't know. Am I okay? And I think so. And he helped me get out. And, you know, I didn't have a scratch on me, Randy. I mean, wow, wow. It, there is no reason that I should have walked away from that accident. Um, you know, earlier when you were talking about your brother only being 10 miles away uh, rafting, you know, the word coincidence always comes to mind. But when it's that big, we know it's not yeah, coincidence. Yeah. You say, what are the odds of that? With Christ in your life, they're 100 percent. And it's just like this. Why didn't you have scratches, broken bones, yeah. a mangled face? Pardon me, I'm not trying I'm, to get dramatic. No, no A it, messed up body. I mean, it hit right behind the, the bucket seats, the driver. I mean, had it been seconds of a different timing, I... I I don't believe I would be here. And, and thank God the man that hit me wasn't hurt, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, my husband, they, they, they called him to come pick me up at that point. He's like, I, I don't want, I don't want to, I don't have time for this. I mean, this guy's been holding down a job. He's, he's, um, he's works at one of the steel mills and he has a, he's a good, good job. And he's, you know, having to been having to deal with his wife running amok and, and doing this for years. And I, you know, he was exhausted and, but he did come and he said when he saw that van and, and he expected that he was going to be either getting in the ambulance with me or there was going to be a hearse coming to pick yes. me up. And here I popped up from behind this tree like nothing. And he said, girl, hell don't want you. You better figure out what you're doing with your life, you know, and, um, I would use one more time after that day, um, and it got really, really, a day or two after that, it got really ugly at home. You know, my husband had been hearing about some places that I was frequenting to use drugs, and, and 
you know, he, he wanted me out and, um, I begged him to take me to, uh, Parkview Behavioral Health, um, prior to him getting home from work. This was a couple days after the accident. He let me kind of crash at our house. I had called my family, um, called a, a, a dear friend who's now my sponsor um, told him I thought I was going crazy. I needed help. I, I felt like I couldn't breathe. I felt like I was going to die. And, you know, my family wasn't, um, they were like, you know what, we, we're at work. We hope you're okay. We love you, but there's nothing we can do. My, my friend and, and, and now sponsor said, Sarah, if you're going to die, you need to call 911. I'm at work. There's, they can get there faster than I can. My husband would get home from work and, and he would drive me down to Parkview Behavioral Health, which is, a uh, somewhat treatment facility in Fort Wayne. Um, and he dropped me off and he said, pretty much sayonara, here you go. I'm, I'm leaving. And, um, went through the intake process, trying, all I wanted to do was get admitted because then I know what happens. I get a nap and a sandwich and Sarah feels better. And then she's, but God stepped in again and did for me what I can't do for myself. And, um, I had used, um, about a half a gram of, of methamphetamine the day prior and when they did my urine test at Parkview Behavioral Health, um, they said, we can't keep you inpatient. You don't have any drugs in your system, and we're not a homeless shelter. I said, There's no way I don't have any drugs in my system. I just did enough, you know. So I would not get admitted. They wanted me to come back for their IOP program. I didn't have, Randy, I didn't even have a quarter to my name. I had my, the phone that I, a prepaid cell phone I was living off of, the battery was dead. Um. They wanted me to come back. I I had no way of coming back. You know, I, I was so angry. And they gave me a list of homeless shelters um, in the area. I walked to a couple. They were full. Uh, this went on for hours. About 6 o'clock is when they sent me out the door at Parkview Behavioral Health. And um, just for a matter of, you know, kind of time, I would walk up and down um, the street there. And for the first time in my addiction, I was faced with, the reality, well, for the first time in my addiction, I was willing to look at the reality of where my choices had got me, and that was pretty much homeless on the street with nothing, and um, I was scared. I was really scared, and I was furious at my family, furious that they wouldn't pick up the phone now. Now they don't want to help. Now I want help, and they don't want to help, right? So there's a, there's a bus stop. Um, pavilion at the end of the road where it tees there. And um, I was raised in a Christian home. You know, my dad was a missionary for the Methodist church and, and I was raised in a Christian home. And um, at 11 years old, I went to church camp and I dedicated my life to Christ. And um, on the floor of that bus stop, I was on my knees and I was mad. I was, I was angry. I was empty and I thought, you know what? I'm going to show my family. Um, I'm going to show everybody. I'm going to show myself. Um, I'm, there's an overpass where I could jump into oncoming traffic on I-69. And um, that's where I was at. I was exhausted. 42-ish years old. Um, I had, I had um, an empty shell of a person. And I'm going to tell you, Randy, um, I heard, I, 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 I choose to believe that it was God. And I don't know if I heard it just in my mind or if I physically audibly heard the voice, but God told me, you're not going anywhere. 
your life's mine. You dedicated your life to me, and I promise, I made a promise to you that I would protect you and I would save you. And you're going to stand up and you're going to fight. You know, we hear at times, Sarah, you've got to hit your bottom. Yeah. I get that in a lot of cases. I don't get it in others. That's sure. irrelevant. Was that your bottom? That was, was that my your bottom. That moment? was my bottom emotionally, physically, and spiritually. That was my bottom. And I mean, um, God had to, you know, everybody does have a different bottom. And, and what seems like should be a bottom for one person isn't for another. And exactly, you know, with it's been my experience that God had to take a, a baseball bat and knock my knees out for me to listen. I've always said sometimes it takes a bigger. Yeah. Board than a tube of four. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Some of us require for a sure. tube of six or for something. Sure. Yeah. So thank you. Yes. Thank you yes. for sharing that. Let's let's move back toward the victory you're living yes. in now. I yes. didn't say the perfection. Absolutely. But not. the victory. Yes. So yes. take us up the hill. Okay. So that would be yes, that was my bottom and and I would um I would at about two weeks later, um I was trying to get into halfway houses. I, I decided that um well, I knew I had to do something different and I couldn't get clean and sober at home. We tried that. I moved into the Serenity House in Auburn, Indiana and lived there for a few months and was able to get some foundation and, and learned how to be a functioning um, functioning adult again, one step at a time. You know, I had my twin bed that I had to make, my bowl for my dishes that I had to do. It was in a capacity that I could handle it. Um, I had to go to 12-step meetings um, and, and I heard early on in meeting, um, that this time that if you want something you've never had, you've got to be willing to do something you've never done. And <laughs> I had to really, um, put my ego aside and any of that recovery that I had had before, I, I still learned some things, but it didn't work for me the way I did it before. So this has been a whole new journey. And, and part of that, um, you know, I stay very active in, in, um, 12 step meetings, I also, um, you know, during COVID had an opportunity to meet some of my neighbors um, who I had always hid from in the past. And um, Annie, who's here with us, is one of my neighbors, and we started walking together. And through those walks and times, I was able to share and feel safe enough some of my story. And she shared with me that um, her church does a Brianna's Hope meeting. And it started, um, they asked if I would share my story and I was honored, and I did. And at that time, um, about six months went by, and, and they kind of had a new group of people in the Brianna's Hope and asked if I would again, and I did. And and um, Pastor Tom and Annie and Mary, they said, man, Sarah, it's just really good having you here, and, and um, we'd like you to be a part of our Team Hope. And um, I said, I'd think about it, and I'd pray about it, because I've found that... Um, these days I got to run everything by my higher power, you know, because my ego can get in the way and I've learned the hard way. If I make it about me, um, I'm in trouble. So yes. I prayed about it and it felt like the right thing to do. And um, that's been almost a year ago. Tell the folks what Team Hope is. Yeah. So um, our Brianna's Hope meeting, uh, Team Hope is um, there's a group of some of the ladies from the church and Pastor Tom and myself. Um, we kind of facilitate a meeting every Tuesday um, at the First Christian Church there in Auburn. And um, what we do is uh, we provide a meal and then we have fellowship and we have um, we have a format we go through with a meeting and we've we 
open ourselves up to other addicts and alcoholics and their families. So the team hopes the leadership. We kind of, yes, yes uh, I would say that's yeah, what we do. We you, lead the meeting and help guide. Um, yes. Don't dictate. Do but not lead. dictate. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that because I know there are folks out there who aren't certain of that. Okay, you just told us you're part of Team Hope. You're attending a better life, Brianna's yes. Hope. Tell us what else is happening in life now yeah. that didn't yeah. happen years ago. So, Let's celebrate. Yes. So that 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 husband of mine, we're still married. Um, we will be how many years? So in October twenty fourth will be nineteen years that we've been married. Congratulations! Twenty three years that we've been together. Yeah, and um, I'm really proud of that, and um, I'm I'm absolutely humbled every day that um, you know my father loved me in a way that I was a daddy's girl, and and I always felt so safe and protected by him, and and God knew what He was doing when He put my husband in my life because. Um, I mean, he stuck by me, and uh, that's obvious. Yeah, I, I not and too had many plenty of reasons had to every walk reasons away. to run away. Yes, <laughs> and so we have an amazing relationship. I have two beautiful stepdaughters. Um, I have a son who's thirty-one years old. That that son that I had when I was seventeen. Um, God has provided my recovery has provided an opportunity to heal those relationships, and it didn't happen overnight. There was lots of work to be done. Um, and the biggest amends that I could make to my family was to just put one foot in front of the other one day at a time and do the work. To become the you that God created yeah. you to be. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So what would you like to say to your family that went through that with yeah. you and yeah. helped to support and get you where you are? There's a lot of shame and guilt um, that goes along with um, the way that we live our lives and what we put people through. But I, I thank God for them every single day because um, it, it truly was the love that they had for me and the prayers, the constant prayers from my friends and my family, even when it seemed like it wasn't working. It was working. God was having, you know, he was fulfilling something um, all along the way. That, that sometimes we don't know. But, um, yeah, to my family, thank you. To my friends, thank you. To my community, thank you, you know. What What do your next steps in life look yeah. like? I know every day's a step in deeper and stronger yeah. recovery, but beyond that. Yeah, it is. You know, um, I really try to, um, just because I put down the drink and the drug, definitely does that's the rubber really meets the road after after that because then um I've got to look at myself and I've got to change um you know decades of defense mechanisms that I've created so um life beyond is just to continually be willing to grow in recovery be yes. open to what God has in store for me um I tend I think because I was scared of going backwards in early recovery was very rigid to 12 step. This is the way it has to be. And to be perfectly honest, um, Brianna's hope has opened up my heart to the idea and to the fact that there is no one way to recovery. There are different avenues. So I hope to just continue to be willing to grow and learn, um, to be open to what God has in store for me. 
and to just be the person um, to my family, to my friends, to my community that I that I wasn't in the past. Yeah, yeah. A couple of last questions. Sure. Here. Is there anything else you'd like to add at this point before I give you the final question? Sure. Um, you know, I don't think so. I, I would say to the families, because I kind of, you know, went went off on a little bit of a tangent there, but um, set boundaries, set boundaries, tough boundaries. Um, I will tell you what, when I was getting what I wanted, I was not going to change. Um, and while there is breath, there is hope. I think my I think my family had come to the conclusion that she may not make it. Um, you know, that next phone call may be the phone call that, that she is not with us anymore. And ultimately it had to be my choice to get better. So, um, you know, there's set boundaries and be consistent with those. Yes. And get support for yourselves. You know, there's support systems out there for the families where they can learn from other families struggling with the same things, how to set those boundaries in a healthy way. Yes. Yes. One final question. Sure. As you know, the name of our podcast is Faith in Your Recovery. Define that title in your words, please. Describe that. Well, I will tell you that without without the love of Jesus Christ and and, and that that instance that I told you about in that bus stop where— you know, God, God did for me what I couldn't do for myself, and and just reminding me that He's always been here. Um, faith in my recovery is faith that God can do for me what I can't do for myself. And a lot of times, God showing up for me is through other people and other human beings. And that was hard for me. I don't, uh, you know, addicts and alcoholics don't like to trust people, but God shows up when we least expect it in each other. When we're the worst, he shows up at his best. He sure does. I've always loved that thought. Well, listen, Sarah, thank you. Thank you. you. Thank you for the drive here. Thank you to the friends that came along with you. Thank you for your willingness to be honest and open with your story. We don't believe anybody's come this far to only come this far. We believe your answer your healing, your recovery may be just around the corner or possibly in our next episode. Have faith in your recovery by having faith in yourself, your journey, and above all, God. Stay in the battle. God bless.